Welcome to audio from Ballyhalbert Gospel Hall. Listen in as we open God's Word and share how it should impact our lives. We hope it blesses you. Good morning, everybody. Nice to be back. Uh, we were sort of joking on the way in that uh, during the years I've come down the peninsula, lovely and sunny and nice. But then you come on days like this here when it's rather bleak and wet. It just lets us know that uh, life was a mixture of sunshine and rain. We just have to learn to live with both, whether we like it or not. We're not always given a choice. Now, could you take your Bible and turn to the book of Judges? Uh, Judges chapter 16. And while you're tracking it down, I'll just simply tell you what we're going to think about. We're going to think about the believers or the saints of God in wrong places. Uh, maybe just somewhere where they, they, they shouldn't be. Some place where they wouldn't want to be. Uh, maybe hard places, difficult places. Uh, just uh, the saints of God in wrong places. And here we're thinking about Samson. Depending on the time, we might uh, take a wee look at Daniel. But for now, we're thinking about Samson. Now, if Samson was sitting here this morning, uh, who would he be? How do you recognize him? Well, you wouldn't be pointing a finger at me and saying, do you think that's him there? I think you'd be looking for somebody a wee bit bigger and a wee bit more muscular than, than myself. He maybe would take two seats. He'd be sitting there with a hair like a, a lion's mane. He's a kind of fella, and you look at him and say, I better not pick a fight with him. He'd take the biggest of us and throws out the window. Big and strong and muscular. That would be Samson. And yet, take a look at chapter 16 and verse 21. You'll find this rather unbelievable. This is Samson. This big, strong, muscular man, and here he is. And the Philistines took him. They took him. They eventually were able to get a hold of him and hold on to him. In the past, they couldn't do that. But this time, they got him. He's now in their control. They have taken him. What have they done to him? They put his eyes out. He's blind. You think of the pain of that. The awfulness of it. They have this man held down. And whatever way they did it, they now have gouged out his eyes. And he's blind. He can't see. It's an awful thing for a believer to be in that kind of a spiritual condition where his spiritual eyesight is all gone. And there's nothing but confusion and doubt and, and he can't understand the things of God or the ways of God and, and, and spiritually blind. Here's this big strong man. The Philistines have taken him. They put his eyes out. He cannot see. It's an awful place to be in, isn't it? And then it says... And they brought him down to Gaza. That's uh, uh, where they are. 
they've taken him from where he belongs to where they belong. He is now in their environment. You're not going to live where we are. We're going to control you now. You're not going to be free to live, uh, you know, where, where God wants you to be. You're going to be living in our environment. And they brought him into Gaza and they burned him with fetters of brass. They're not going to take any chances. Because in the past, you see, they, they, they burned him with fetters of grass and, and fetters of rope. And of course, he's able to uh, snap all those fetters and, and take their jawbone of an ass or whatever and, and slaughter them. And even though they now have them under the control and the parasites out, they're not going to take any chances. They're going to put them in fetters of metal. He is now bound. He is under their control. God wants his people to be a free people. And the Philistines that you have to be careful about and that I have to be careful about are the Philistines within where there's jealousy and there is envy and all sorts of lusts and there's bitterness and there is anger. There's all those inner carnalities that want to bind us. And we have to be careful about the Philistines that lie within. They seek to bind us. And then it says, and he did grind in the prison house. This is humiliation. This is a man who's tied up like a, like a mule or a donkey. And, and way back in those days, of course, they had the grinding mill. They must have moved down to the prison house or, or set it up in the prison house a big, big stone basin. And inside the stone basin is a great big, big stone. And the stone somehow is attached to the donkey or the mule. And the mule is walking round and round in circles, moving the inner stone that's going to grind the barley or the wheat or the corn. It's just round and round in circles. That's Samson. Using what strength he has left using what little energy he has left, and he's now going to grind and grind and use his strength and his energy for the benefit of the enemy. Not for the benefit of the glory of God or for the welfare of the Jewish people. He is now going to use what little energy he has for the benefit and for the welfare of the enemy. I think we can safely say that's not where God wants his people to be. That whatever energy we have, whatever talents we have, whatever abilities we have, we're using all of that for the glory of God, the benefit of his people, and not for the welfare of an ungodly world or for the, the things of the enemy. So there's this big strong man, and he's in the prison house, he's blind, he's fettered, and he's using his energy, what little he has, for the benefit of the enemy. So it sort of begs the question then, how did it all come to this? What led to it? Uh, who's to blame for it all? Now, if you were to go to Samson and say, well, Samson, uh, who do you hold responsible for your awful condition, for your blindness, for being fettered, for grinding for the enemy, who's to blame for all of this? He may point his finger and says, it's that woman Delilah's fault. Blame her. 
And there's something about us as human beings, whenever we make a mess of it, we want to try and shift the blame and blame somebody else, then it's always handy to have the wife around to blame the wife. Don't blame me, God. Didn't Adam? Lord, it was the woman you give me. If you hadn't have given this woman from, from a, a one of my ribs, all would still be well. We would still be in the garden and have been no sin in the garden. We'd be walking in the, the cool of the day, one with the other. But you give me a woman and she messed the whole thing up and blame the woman. Always wanted to shift the blame. Well, overall, I would simply say it was reckless foolishness on Samson's part. I was back in Macrofelt not too long ago when I went down the Fair Hill. You remember I told you about the Fair Hill? And whenever I, as a young fellow, you see, I worked for a grocer called Gordon Young and, and I had the big old shop bicycle and the big basket and delivered the groceries and, and sometimes I had to go down the Fair Hill to deliver the groceries to some customers. And back there recently, and going down the fair hill, and all the memories came back, and, and the memory of being of this young, uh, crazy, idiotic, a reckless young teenager going down the hill, and of course you've got it, it comes to a T-junction. But it could also be deemed as a, a crossroads, because the other side of the T-junction, there's a gateway and a laneway up to the Presbyterian manse. And the number of times I sailed down there, and this little devil hops on the shoulder and he whispers, he says, you'll think of the excitement and think of the thrill if you forget about the brakes and just drive on through and go up then through the little laneway to the Presbyterian manse. But um, a wee voice of wisdom, a wee angel would appear there and, and let me know if it all goes wrong, what could happen. You could hit a car, a car hits you, and you end up lying in the hospital in Macrofelt, and uh, don't do it. And, and you jam the brakes on, you skid to a halt, and, and you think, you know, that's the wise thing to do. Don't, don't be stupid, don't be reckless, it all goes wrong. But the day came when that wee demon appeared, and he shouted louder than he even called me a wee chicken. He says, you're just a scary cat. You're afraid to go for it. And for some reason, the voice of wisdom wasn't there that day. And I made up my mind, I've got to do it someday. I must experience it. I'm going for it now. And I sailed through, and I just got to the other side when a car came driving by, beeping the horn, shaking his fist at me, and dear knows what he called me in the environment of the car. Reckless stupidity. And of course, it it had gone wrong. And I was a wee bit slower and hit the car, lying in the hospital. And you come to see me, I'd be there blaming the man in the car, uh, blaming God for allowing it to happen, blaming everybody but the idiot on the bicycle. Ah, Samson, you're in that grinding house and you're blind and you're fettered and the only one responsible for it is yourself your foolish recklessness. You underestimate the risk and the danger. There's a wee verse that's uh, found in Proverbs, and it's chapter 22. And let me read to you what it says. It says, A prudent man, a wise man, 
not a reckless idiot on the bicycle without prudence or wisdom. No. A wise man, he foresees the evil. He understands the dangers. He doesn't minimize them. He doesn't disregard them. He takes them on board. He understands if I go for this, this might be the outcome. But Samson disregard the dangers. Did he say, I'm so strong and it's always worked out well in the past. It'll always work out this way in the future. They'll never bind me. They'll never get me. And by doing so, he disregarded the dangers. And he underestimated the desires of the enemy to bring him down. There's a wee verse in uh, Ephesians and it says that we should walk circumspectly. And when I use the word circumspectly there, it just simply means carefully. It's looking around. It's looking around. So as you're, you're you know, driving, it's a good thing to you know, watch the signage and watch the road and all the traffic and the people on the bicycles, the farmers and the tractors. Be aware of what's ahead of you, what's alongside, what's behind you. Look around. Be careful as you go. Understand there are dangers out there and you don't want to hit the dangers. Be careful as you go. Keep your eyes open. I remember when Ben was about five or six years of age and it was Saturday morning when we went down to what we call parties for a few wee sweeties. And to get there, you had to go across the traffic lights. So I thought I'd educate him. And I'd say, now, son, we're coming to the traffic lights. And uh, you wait until the wee man turns green. And uh, then I said, uh, but you know, if someone who's blind and they can't see the wee green man, uh, I said, I'll press this wee button. And when the wee green man... It becomes green, he's red, and then he becomes green. And then you'll hear a little beep, 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 beep. And that's for someone who can't hear. The deaf. Then he said to me, but what if the man is also deaf and blind? And he can't hear the wee sound, and he can't see the wee green man. And I was baffled. I said, son, I haven't a clue. Well, then he says, daddy, let me tell you something. He says, you see that wee box of the button that you pressed? He said to me, put your hand underneath it. And I put my hand underneath. He says, do you feel a wee button? I says, I do. He says, well, you just wait until the wee red man becomes a green man and you hear the wee beep, beep, beep. You'll notice something happens to that wee button. And I waited. And of course, it all began to happen and the wee button began to spin. He says, that lets you know for a man who's blind and deaf, and lets you know it is safe to cross the road. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, from now on, you're all going around and you're going feeling these buttons and all this here. Is it right? That's right. He taught me something. Why? Because there are dangers out there and the government want people to cross the road safely, not to be hit and run down. And some people are blind and some people are deaf. And, and, and so we've got to consider all those circumstances to get people across the road safely that they might be careful. There are dangers there. So we need to walk carefully. Do you notice some a wee bit more brown colour? A wee bit of a suntan. Not much, but a 
Ebert. We're just back from, uh, what's the name of the place? Palmanova. Uh, one of those, uh, Mallorca, one of the islands. Nice time of year to go because all the young people are gone. The nightclubs are all shut down. <laughs> just old folk around the place. We have it all to ourselves. But there's still plenty of people about the place. The temperature's just lovely. The burning sun belongs to the summer. This time of year, for people in Northern Ireland, is just perfect, you see. And so you have the sea, and then you have the beach, and the wee wall, and then the promenade, a, a line of palm trees, and just the other side, another wee wall, and then all the restaurants, people sitting out in the open air, enjoying their meals. So in the evening, we decided, I oh, will go for a wee walk along the promenade and the palm trees every 10 or 15 yards. Now, you know, from Northern Ireland, you're going far away, but you still want a wee touch of home. And I noticed that all these restaurants had the big, big, big TV screens playing the football. So I was saying, let's go for a wee walk. A nice wee walk. But we'll walk slowly. See? <laughs> so we're just dandering along and give me a chance to... And this it was a Thursday night and Arsenal was playing some team and I was trying to figure out what team were they playing. I couldn't recognise the shirts. And then up in the top left-hand corner is the two names and I couldn't see too well. And I was so focused on trying to comprehend the name, I head-butted a big palm tree <laughs> right in front of me. And palm trees are rough. And a big bruise there, and the skin crunched up like that there. And everybody laughing at this idiot, uh, not, not looking around, not circumspect, just head-butting a palm tree. It's ways to look around, or you end up in danger. You see, Samson was a reckless fool. He underestimated the dangers. He didn't appreciate the determination of the enemy to bring him down. A reckless fool. Uh, can you turn to the book of Daniel? The book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is uh, a young man do you use the word the wrong place? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. I just accept this is where God wants him to be. It's, it's a foreign land. It's not pleasant for him. If you say, Daniel, uh, where would you prefer to be? He would say, not here. I'd rather be back in the land of Israel, back in my homeland, where it's my comfort zone. Everything in this foreign land of Babylon, the language, the food, and everything is so different. I'm uncomfortable being here, he would say. So when you just begin the chapter there, verse 1, it just simply lets you know that Nebuchadnezzar besieges Jerusalem and so on. He has besieged it. And will not do much the reading uh, verse 3 it says, And the king speak unto Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the, the king's seed and of the princes. So uh, Jerusalem is being besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylons, they grab all the young people and the, and, and the population and they transport them all the way back into the land of Babylon. 
So Daniel is not what he wants to be. So we might ask ourselves the question, well, who do we blame for that? Uh, Daniel, who would you blame for that? He may throw his hands up and say, well, I'm not to blame. I'm just a young fella. Uh, I was sort of put in the bus and driven here, and here I am, and uh, I didn't ask for it, didn't want it, and I, I just, uh, here I am. Don't blame me. Well, let me tell you who I, if you want to put a name on someone to blame for it, it could be a fella called uh, Habakkuk. <laughs> you blame him a wee bit. Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk prayed, you see, and uh, the, the Habakkuk starts with this burden upon the heart of Habakkuk, and, and he's under an awful lot of under pressure, and he, and he says, Lord, how long must I cry, and thou wilt not hear? And what's he crying about? What's he praying about all these years? He's praying about the spiritual condition of the land of Israel, the violence, the injustice, and he says, Lord, when are you going to change all of this? Praying that God may change things. Now he's praying on a good solid basis. He's entitled to expect God to step in. Because he understood the fundamental relationship that Israel had with God. It was covenant based. Covenant based. God says to the wandering Jewish people through the desert. He says, I'm bringing you into a land filled with milk and honey but it's my land and I will allow you to reside there but under terms and conditions if you keep my laws I'll bless every aspect of your existence I will defend you against your enemies but the other side of it is if you don't keep my laws I will bring all these cursings upon you by Habakkuk's day it was time for the cursings Habakkuk saying, God, these people have disregarded your laws. They treat you like you don't exist. It is time now for your divine intervention by way of judgment. God's response to Habakkuk is this. He says, be patient. Do you see that wee scrawny nation called the, the Chaldeans, the Babylonians? They're not much now, but just in time, I will raise them up to be a mighty power upon the earth. And Nebuchadnezzar will become my servant. And I will turn his attention against Israel. And he'll invade Israel. And he'll bring them into captivity in the land of Babylon. God says, Habakkuk, that's what I will do in answer to your prayer. Daniel was one of those captives. Will you turn to Psalm 137? Psalm 137. And uh, here's uh, what it says. Verse 1. It says, By the rivers of Babylon, <laughs> there we sat down. So here's the people of Israel. And they're not in Jerusalem. And they're not by the rivers of Jordan. Nope. They're now by the rivers of Babylon. <laughs> Is this a big collective excursion? Uh, the king says, pick your bags, get on the bus and the trains, and we're going to head every one of us into the land of, Israel, of Babylon, and we're going to enjoy ourselves by the rivers of Babylon. That could be. 
But then it says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept. We wept. It's not an excursion. It's not organized by the king of Israel just to have a, a big fun day or a fun weekend or a fun fortnight in, in Babylon and by the rivers and enjoy uh, the food and the, uh, the, 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 the pleasure of Babylon. No. They're sitting there and they're weeping. You don't weep when you're on a holiday. You rejoice and you enjoy yourself. You get yourself a suntan. Not these people. No, the armies of Babylon have moved in. Rounded them all up, put them on the buses and drove them all back into the bar, land of Babylon. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they're all on board the train heading off to the land of Babylon. Daniel finds himself in a foreign land and it's not of his making. And spiritually not of his making. And the reason why God sent the Babylonians in to bring the people of Israel captive was because of their disobedience. But Daniel was a godly young man in the midst of a nation of ungodliness. But he fell victim. He played no part in the guilt. And even when he got to the land of Babylon, he's still trying to hold on to his relationship with God and the things of God and to live for God in the foreign land. No responsibility for where he is. And sometimes life is like that. You just find yourself in circumstances in, in life and, and you're not to blame. You're just a passenger and you find yourself somewhere and don't waste your time being angry about it. That's not Daniel. If you read on through the chapters, you'll not find someone spending all of his time raging at God, cursing his, his Jewish fellows who were responsible for the backsliding and, and the rebellion against God that brought it all about. No, he's just resigned to his circumstances. This is where God wants me to be. I may not prefer this, but if this is where I'm supposed to be, so be it. I'll just get on with doing my best to live for God. You can allow yourself to become bitter. Oh, I told you before about when I went to Bible college uh, way back uh, 1975, we fell from Mackerfelt. Hardly ever seen outside Mackerfelt. And here's this big, big, big world of Canada. Flat prairies, not a tree or a hill or a, a mountain of any sort. Flat like a pancake. And you don't know anybody, really. And you feel all homesick. And, and uh, the first, what we call the, the chapel period, don't worry about that, that's just what they call it over there. Uh, the, the, the first, when all the students are there, you see, for the first big, big gathering, 200 students and all the teachers. And I'm sitting there and feeling homesick. And I walks right past me, this man, straight back, short back and sides, hair cut and walked upright. He was the headmaster, the principal. And just the way that he marched, I thought that man might give me a wee bit of trouble. There's something about the way that his demeanour. And uh, he got up and he's a lovely man. And he was a lovely man. Very gracious and kindly and so on. But he was the principal. And the first thing he did, he got us to look at a wee verse in the Bible and a, a lovely wee devotional and so on. That's a lovely, that's a lovely Christian man. 
But then he closed the Bible and opened up another book. And he's not now speaking as a Christian to Christian. He's now speaking as the headmaster. Uh, the rules and the regulations of the school. <laughs> you go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and you get up at 6. And that immediately makes me feel there's something setting in here that's making me feel uncomfortable. You go to bed at 10 o'clock, back home, that's when you hit the town. That's when life begins, you see. That's when the fun begins at 10 o'clock. Getting up at 6 o'clock, it'll be interesting to see the world at 6 o'clock. I've never seen it before, for the first time. See the prairies at 6 o'clock in the morning. Oh, it's going to get worse. Oh, that's, just, that's just the beginning of it. And then he, he got to the list of all the names, and he came to my name. Mr. Finley, very glad to have you here all the way from Northern Ireland. Uh, your chores for the year will be, after every meal, you'll be part of the pots and pans crew. You'll be scrubbing pots and pans. I'm, I'm slinking back in the street. What? I didn't come all this way from Northern Ireland to scrub pots and pans. I'm not looking for a degree in that. I'm here to study the Bible, you see. I, I'm here to study the things of God. What's pots and pans got to do with being a better Christian? I, I couldn't tie the two together, you see. And uh, I, I, when I looked around, I noticed in the face of everybody else, they're feeling exactly the same. We were all suffering what's called DRA. It's a dirty, rotten attitude. <laughs> I'm not taking this. Who does he think he is? I'm 25 years of age. I'm an adult. I need somebody to tell me what time to go to bed, what time to get up in the morning, and to get me to scrub pots and pans. That's what my mother is for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why I will find a wife somewhere. <laughs> the pots and the pans. See, it's, oh, it's a big challenge to my understanding of life and relationships and, and spirituality. Let me tell you something. Uh, whilst that DRA was in my spirit, I was not going to learn anything about God until I resigned myself to accept this is where I am. And that man up there is an authority in my life and he's placed there by God for my benefit. And I may not like the pots and pans, but there may be some spiritual benefit in it. You know? I'll give it a go. And you know, after the year, there are people coming. We were having so much fun. Water fights every day. <laughs> we had so much fun. People were coming saying, could we change you gratis? Could we change you chores? You're having a great fun time in there. You keep, we're staying where we are. It's too much fun. And when I came back from Bible College, I've scrubbed pots and pans ever since. <laughs> but you got a good husband. <laughs> It just became so ingrained, uh, uh, not part of scrubbing the pots and pans or something, but it's a mental thing, a spiritual thing. To find yourself in circumstances, and if the bitterness is still there, you're not going to get any good out of it. And Daniel's not an embittered young man. He's a young man that's simply saying, Lord, this is where you've placed me. And wherever I am, you've got a purpose in it all, so Lord, use me where I am. And look at the way God used Daniel in the book of Daniel. Wonderful. So, 
Believers, don't go, oh, Samson. Samson. You brought it on yourself by your reckless foolishness. Daniel, you had no responsibility for where you are. You're an innocent young man who find yourself in a foreign land, being forced to speak a foreign language and eat foreign food and so on. You don't like it, it's uncomfortable, but those are the winds of life at times. But, but you're resigned now to the purpose of God. No matter where you are, God has a purpose for it all. And you're not going to spend the rest of your life being embittered by it all. You'll get out of your bitterness and you'll say, Lord, here I am, just use me. In a family, in a church, in a workplace, wherever God has placed you. Don't waste your time being bittered by it all. Say, Lord, where I am, use me. Let's close with a word of prayer. <coughs> Father, we thank you for life and the uncertainties of life. And sometimes even the difficult uh, places you place us in. Father, we pray that we'll not waste all of our time just being angry about it and trying to change it. Get to that place, our Father, where we just recognise this is where you want us to be and we just get on with it. Father, we pray that we'll not be as foolish or as reckless as Samson, bringing about our spiritual difficulties and disasters because of our reckless foolishness. Teach us, our Father, to heed the dangers. Wise men foresee the evils and they avoid them. These things we ask in our Saviour's precious name. Amen. God bless you.